Wonderful, wonderful. Well, some of you will be aware of this. How many uh, practical jokers have we got here? How many practical jokers? Okay. How many of you normally do an Easter egg hunt for your kids? You know? Well, here's a little thing. Sunday is actually the 1st of April. So you can send your kids out for the morning Easter egg hunt, not have any eggs out there, and then when they come back, go, April Fool, surprise, we got... Is that harsh? Is that a little too harsh? Sorry. The bigger kids, not the little kids, the bigger kids, okay. The teenagers, perhaps. Okay, I'm getting death stares from the front row. Let's just keep moving along. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're, I want to talk this morning, and you may have seen uh, this image of the cross equals love that has really taken off around the world as symbolic of Easter, that the cross equals love. The cross equals love. One of the most famous scriptures in the world that, that you, you'll see people at football games and the Super Bowl holding up a sign that says John 3.16 is a reflection of this picture is a reflection of that scripture. And I want to read it to us this morning as we celebrate Good Friday and what Jesus has done. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That God so loved the world. The cross equals love. We've been cut off from God because of our sin. We've been separated from him, but we were created for relationship with him. So Jesus came to pay the price for our sin on the cross. Now the challenge is, and, and I'm sure if we went around the room today, there would be many different perspectives, many different uh, thoughts or images that we've grown up with of God. And unfortunately, not just in this day and age, but throughout all history, there have been many misconceptions of what God is actually like. And that can be from all, all sorts of different reasons. It may be that you, you had a, a negative religious experience growing up. I've heard terrible things that have been said in the name of God. Maybe you, you attended a, a church or, or some sort of school that was way more emphasis about being a good person than having a relationship with God. God. It was more about rules than relationship. Maybe it was more about pomp and ceremony than it was actually God's power touching people and changing their lives. Uh, maybe, maybe you lived beside a neighbor who was a bad representation of Christianity. Uh, maybe, maybe Ned Flanders was your neighbor. I'm not sure if you lived beside him. Or maybe you lived beside, beside us when we had little kids. And if you did, I apologize for the moment that my sons stripped all the palings off the fence. For the moment that my sons... One of them dipped toilet paper in methylated spirits in the, in the middle of the night and bombed your house. I am sorry for giving you a bad perception of what God is like. I'm not sure if you're our neighbors. Come and you can talk to my son later on. Uh, maybe, maybe it was a, a, a life circumstance. Sometimes a negative life circumstance that can cause us pain and grief, and that grief can get in our soul, and it can give us a dis, uh, it can um, blur our view of God. I remember a number of years ago talking to a man who who was on his own deathbed, and he talked to me about his image of God. He didn't see God as loving. And the reason he didn't see God as loving is when he was a boy, his mother died of cancer. And someone in a well-meaning way said, God wanted your mother in heaven and took her from you. 
And so his image of God from that innocent comment mixed with the pain of grief got inside of him that God's evil, that he wants to take my my mom off me. What sort of a God would do that to me? And he got a misperception of what God is like. Maybe maybe there's a a difficult relationship that you've had and often particularly a father figure can can cause a a bad representation. It might be absent, maybe abusive, maybe harsh. And so often people, when they hear that God is like a father because of their own perception of their dad, go, well, if God's like a father, then internally I've got this pain built up. I don't want any God who's anything like my father. In fact, I've heard it said uh, numerous occasions that many, many, athe- many prominent atheists' core belief can be traced back to a troubled relationship with their father rather than being swayed by scientific evidence. The internalized pain has become a strong driver and a distorter of reality. Maybe, maybe that's been your experience. Maybe it's just been harsh, uh, or harsh authority figures who haven't treated you fairly. They've been legalistic. And so then you come to God as, as the ultimate authority figure and, you, and we, we can easily project our negative pain and experience onto God and think that's what he's like. Or maybe you're just a New South Wales supporter been praying for 11 years for a victory and you're not getting an answer to your prayers and you're wondering why God hasn't answered your prayers. Obviously, he loves Queenslanders more. Maybe that's just you know, a harsh reality check for you here today. Not sure. But here's the deal. People can get all, all mixed up about their perception. I call it the ultimate misconception about God. And we live in a fallen world that's rejected God as our ruler. And because of that, we have hurt people. And here's what you'll know is that hurt people hurt people. And all of us end up getting hurt by people who are disconnected from God. So Jesus Christ came into this world to change the perception that they had then of God, because this is not just a new thing, all through humanity. Human nature is to control and and make things about rules. It's our nature to push away from God. And Jesus came to change the perception of this God, this judgmental, harsh, distant, uncaring God. He came, and the Bible tells us in, in Colossians that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. God is invisible to us. He's in the spirit realm. You can't see the spirit realm. You can sense the spirit realm, but you can't see it. So we need it. God knew we needed to see him. And so Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, took off his crown, took off the rights of being the son of God in heaven, and he stepped into flesh. He became one of us, and he became the picture of the invisible God. Christ became the visible image of the invisible God. And so today, my prayer, it's not actually that you'll join our church. That would be a bonus. We'd love to have you. But that's not the aim of, of this service or any of our services, actually. Our aim, ultimately, is that you would get a true image of what God is really like, that you would get a true perception of a God who loves you and who wants to change your life. And so for us here on Good Friday, it's probably the most significant day in terms of understanding how much God loves humanity, how much God loves you and I. He knows your name and he loves us. And so this morning, I want to talk about three aspects of the love of God. I want to just unpack three three descriptive words about God's love. And the first one is this is that God's love is extravagant. 
It's absolutely extravagant. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 3, and he says, I'd like you to be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. I'd love you to, be, I'd love you to take it in, how extravagant he, he is. So now, if you've been around our church for a little while, um, I do feel sometimes that I've been misrepresented. A story that has become folklore in our church is a story of me uh, on a Valentine's Day uh, many years ago where I awoke early in the morning and we were probably in the first eight or nine years of our marriage. I woke up early. It was a pastor's day. I was doing the Lord's work. But I forgot that it was Valentine's Day. And so I raced off to the news agent before Danielle woke up and I thought I'd buy her something to represent that I hadn't forgotten. And unbeknownst to me, I, I missed the mark. I, I think I came home with some Ferrero Rocha chocolates, which she doesn't really like, uh, some, or chocolate bar, and a Dolly magazine. And now she would have been in her 30s. And for those of you who don't know, that's like a teenage girl's magazine. And I thought it would, anyway, it didn't work. It wasn't a picture of extravagant love. So I thought I'd tell you a different story today so that we could wipe the memory of the Dolly magazine story and replace it with another story. And this is, this is probably one of my finest moments as a husband. It was in the early days. This is just helping everybody. This is therapy for me, okay? In the early days of our marriage, we were, I remember we were on quite a tight budget. Things were quite tight. We start, our kids were just starting to go to school. And I think probably for a year, our budget for clothes or for for each other would have, you know, to spend would have been a couple of hundred bucks for the year. That's it. That's your clothing budget. We're pretty tight. So I, unbeknownst to Danielle, saved up over a period of time and I saved up until I hit a thousand dollars separate. And one day after we dropped the kids from school, I pulled out this envelope with 10 green notes. And I, honestly, that, that, you don't see those very often, right? Not 10 together. I pulled them out and said, babe, today, it's our day off. We're going shopping in Brisbane and we're going to spend a thousand dollars on clothes just for you. What is, now that's an extravagant moment, isn't it? Come on, help me out here. Dolly Magazine, $1,000. Dolly Magazine, $1,000. Okay, that's, that's the moment I want us to remember. Now that, in that moment, compared to what we had and compared to where we were up to, that was extravagant. That was awesome. And it has created a great memory for us. But can I tell you, it's nothing compared to the extravagant love of God. I th when I think of extravagant love, I think of over-the-top love. Love that, love that knows no bounds. Love that, love that will blow you away because it exceeds all your expectations. And that is what God is like. His love is extravagant towards us. Let's read a scripture here out of Isaiah talking about what Jesus would do on what we call Good Friday. It says, Yet it was our weaknesses He carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles, him being crucified, were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But no, he was pierced for our rebellion. That's talking about his hands and his side were pierced with nails and a spear. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we would be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is extravagant love. Sometimes people will say something like this, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. And I say, you know what? Neither can I. Because God doesn't send us to hell. We go to hell to pay for our own sins. 
The Bible tells us it's the wages of our sins is death. You'd never say about a judge, oh, I can't believe that that judge would send a vicious criminal to jail. You'd say, of course, the judge isn't sending him. It's his own sin that's sending him. God doesn't send us to hell. In fact, to get to hell, you've got to step over the broken, bruised, bloodied body of Jesus Christ. You've got to make a conscious choice to reject the sacrifice that God's made for us. He couldn't show his love in any other, any more powerful, way than sending his son to pay the price for our sins. Yes, the wages of sin is death. It's the consequence that we all deserve. But God said, because I love you so much, I'll send my son. He'll be one of you. He'll live perfect, but he'll die and I'll put on him the sins of everybody and I'll punish him in that moment. I'll cut him off from me. I'll reject him and I'll bear all the, the sickness and the sorrow and the grief and the worry and the anxiety of the world. And in one day, I'll place it on him so that from that moment, if you believe in him, you can exchange your sin for forgiveness, your sickness for healing, your sorrow, your torment, your anxiety. You can exchange it for, for what Christ has given us. He bore our sorrow, our grief, our sin, our sickness in his body on the cross. This is why for me, although for Jesus, it was a terrible day. And you go, how do we call it Good Friday? It's a crucifixion day. But for us, it's the best news in the world day. It's the news of forgiveness and access to eternity with God in a loving relationship with one who demonstrates extravagant love. It's extravagant love that he's got over the top for every one of us. See, that, that's Good Friday, and Good Friday is about forgiveness and what God takes off us. But, but Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is different again. It's about resurrection. It's about new life. Good Friday is about forgiveness and about having access to heaven. But Resurrection Sunday is about new life that God's got for us. And just like you put a little bit of yeast into, into the dough and it causes it to rise, when you put a little bit of God's power into every area of your life, you'll find dead things will come back to life. Marriages will come back to life. Bodies will come. Financial circuit. All sorts of things will come back to life. That Sunday morning, I'm going to be preaching about things that come back to life. All right, so don't miss that. Okay, the second thing is love is extravagant. God's love is relentless. It's relentless. Now, Dan Frecker, our youth pastor, was relentless. I'm not sure how many times he asked out Ebony to date him. They're running the youth program right now. It's probably about 20 times. He was just relentless. I'm going to get that girl. I'm going to get that girl. I'm going to get that girl. And eventually, she succumbed to handsome Dan, as we like to call him, our youth pastor. Dan the man, we call him. Uh, I read about a guy who over a six-month period was preparing to propose or was actually proposing to his girlfriend and he would take selfies and in the corner would have, he'd have everyone, these little words, will you marry me? So take this photo and in it was, will you, will you marry me? 148 times over six months and she never noticed. And then he played them all for her in this beautiful moment and even had family and friends holding, will you marry me? Because you know what? He had a relentless love of pursuing her in this moment. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Lion. 
How many, give me a wave if you saw the movie Lion. Lion came out in 2016. And it's based on a true story in a book about a man called Saru Breely. Might be related to you, Marita, I'm not sure. Uh, it featured Dev Patel and uh, Nicole Kidman and some other great actors. It was based on this true story of a young five-year-old boy in a town called Kondwa in India who lived with his mother and his brother Gadu and his baby sister Shakila. And so they would, his older brother would collect coal off the train and then he'd go, well, he'd collect steel, coal off the train, and then he would go and sell it and exchange it for bread and for milk so that his family could live. Tragically, one day as he, he went on a, a train with his brother, he was separated, he fell asleep and he stayed and then he got back on the wrong train and this little five-year-old boy found himself uh, 14 hours away in Calcutta. And he lived on the streets and he was taken in by an orphanage and eventually he was adopted by an Aussie family from Hobart. And so this Aussie family, and Nicole Kidman played this, this part, they took this little boy back to Hobart, raised him in a, beautiful, in a beautiful home. He grew up loving, he went to university, but there was this ache in his heart for the, the, the memory he had as a, fi- as a five-year-old boy of his mother, his brother, and his little baby sister that he used to look after. He would sit at moments and stare at the, wa- at the wall of a map of India for hours, remembering with this ache gnawing away at him because he'd been separated from his family. Well, 25 years later, he's sitting with some friends and he eats an Indian delicacy. It brings back the memory of the taste of this food that he had as a little kid. And for the first time, he confesses, he shares with his uni mates that that I was actually raised in India and I was adopted. And they said, and this is now 2007, they said, why don't, and he says, "I I don't know what town I was from. I can't remember the name of the town. I can't remember my family's last name. I've got no way of tracking them down. And they said, well, why don't you go on the internet and look at Google Earth? which had been created since there. Why don't you try and get aerial photos and see if there's anything you can remember about your family? Talk about relentless. He spends the next four years, hours, on Google Maps, looking, looking down at aerial shots to see if there's anything he recognizes that will lead him back to his family. Uh, he eventually works out that, it's, uh, he, that he was 14 hours on the train and that the speed of the trains in India that, that they went would mean that he'd be 1,200 kilometers away. So he looked from the aerial Google Earth at all of the train tracks that went from Calcutta all over India and did a circle of where it could likely be until one day, one random day, he finds a rock formations of where he remembers his mother used to work. And he begins to track them down. And then in 2012, five years after beginning this relentless search, he goes back. He's restored to his mother. I won't tell you any more. Spoiler alert if you want to go and watch it. It's a a really beautiful, moving movie about someone's relentless love to be reconnected with family. And then, of course, he he continues on in the relationship uh, with with his adopted parents who encouraged him in the journey. And that again reminds me, it's just a, it's a small reminder, a small example of the incredible relentless love of our God in heaven. 2 Samuel 14, 14 says this, all of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. We can't get it back. We only get one shot. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, He devises ways. 
devises ways. The relentless love of God is devising ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. See, God sat in heaven one day and he said, their sin and rebellion of me has separated them from me. How can I get them back? And he sat with the angels. And I can picture it like this. Jesus putting up his hand saying, I'll go. Someone needs to die for their sins. If they're going to be connected back to us, if the family is going to be restored, if the lost children are going to be found, I'll go. But I won't go unless he comes with me and he points to the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll go and live, but he's got to come and empower me. He's got to come and help me. And so Jesus goes, and for 30 years, he lives like one of us, a perfect life. Then the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon him. For three years, he demonstrates God's love through miracles and teaching and power. And then he dies in one day because it's God devising his way of how we can be restored to him. And then God's, he's got a plan. He's got a plan for 7 billion people on the planet right now. He's got a strategy. He's got angels. He's got the chessboard. He moved that person into your workplace because he devises ways to get his relentless love to you. He moved those people into your neighborhood. He, may, he helped you see that sign. We have people who say, oh, I came to church and I found out about God's love and my life's been transformed. And it was simply that I saw a sign on the road. That was God using what I like to call the ministry of signs and wonders. Sorry, a Christian joke, just to help you out there, okay. But God's devising ways. He's sending accidents that connect you to God are not accidents. They're God devising ways to restore you to his love because he loves you with an extravagant, relentless love that will never give up on you. He will never stop. He'll never listen to your no. He'll keep chasing and persisting. It's relentless love. And if you've got a friend who's been relentless inviting you to church and you finally gave in today, the reason they're bugging you to come to church is because they know how much God loves you. They want the best for you. If it's your parents saying, come on, come to church, because they know if you get connected to God, how much your life will change and get on the track that God has for you. It's a relentless love. The final thing is this. God's love is extravagant. His love is relentless. It's all demonstrated through the cross. God's love is powerful. His love is powerful. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 says this. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. His love's amazing. May you experience, and I love this word, may you experience the love of Christ. See, it's not just something that I talk to you out of the Bible and you listen to it in your head and you gather some information. The love of God is actually something that you experience in your life where God comes, changes us from the inside out. Goes on and says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete. This is God's aim for you. Where you're broken, he wants to make you healed. Where there's gaps, where things aren't quite right because of all sorts of reasons, God wants to bring restoration. He wants to make you whole or complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. God's love is powerful. It will transform you. If you open the door of your heart and if you let the power and love of God come into your life. So here's the thing. Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven of our sin. 
if we put our faith in him and ask for forgiveness, what happens in that moment is God comes and lives in us and his power transforms us. It's not just that we be, we're like, oh, now I'm a Christian, I better be a good person. I'll try really hard. And I know some people go, oh, I won't surrender to God because I, I don't think I can change. Absolutely, you can't. But God can get inside you with his love and power and transform you from the inside out. But don't take my word for it, okay? Don't take my word for it. There's people all over this church and all over the world who've had this story. We've put together just a little video. It takes a few minutes of people's lives who have been changed by God's powerful love. Watch this one. Before I knew God, I had no idea the amount of pain that I was carrying. And I was going out partying every weekend, taking drugs, and just going from relationship to relationship. My marriage and lifestyle fell apart, and I was left destroyed and really searching for some way to recover peace and serenity in my life. I was really anxious um, and lived a life without purpose. I live life on my own terms. My life was dictated by my circumstances. I was just going down a path that I knew wasn't good for me. I found myself filling that void, that empty void with people and things and um, just looking at that search for happiness and love. So I was certainly messed up. Uh, angry, addicted, uh, lifestyle was very violent for me. The night I met Jesus for the first time, I just knew it was the most powerful love that I'd ever felt and I just knew more than anything that this thing was real. We walked into church and the music was just wonderful and the people were fantastic. My wife, then friend, uh, invited me to church where Pastor John was preaching a message, help me, I'm anxious. I, f I felt this was just for me. Coming to church and meeting Jesus was the most emotional moment of my life. Once I uh, walked through those doors, I just felt such an acceptance for who I was. I experienced, um, I experienced peace and I experienced just that love um, that I was you know, looking for straight away. Walking to church, unlike anything I've ever expected or, or even perceived of what it would be like, the friendliness, the warmth, I mean, as soon as we walked in, we knew we were home. I just absolutely loved it. Since beginning a relationship with Jesus, he has completely transformed my heart and changed the way that I view myself. Life is wonderful. As a result, you know, I just have such a strong faith in Jesus and, and I believe, you know, in, in the power of prayer. I'm free from anxiety and uh, I'm living a life of purpose, uh, living for beyond myself. Life now is amazing. I have so much love, so much purpose and so much acceptance in the world. Now that Jesus is number one in my life, um, I have been blessed with a healthy relationship with my partner. We can face life together with his wisdom and his grace. Life today, I had purpose, uh, planning. Uh, I'm not as angry and addicted, which is really good for my wife and my children. Uh, especially alcohol, drugs, it's just gone. Uh, it's not part of my life anymore. Knowing him means that no matter how bad I stuff up, which is all the time, uh, nothing can ever change how much he loves me and that he died for me on the cross. The peace I've been searching for for so many years is here and now. It's so simple. Jesus is my shield, my strength, um, my, my comforter, my ever-present friend. It's really simple for me, knowing Jesus is life. Jesus means unconditional, continual love, and he is ultimately freedom for me. Having Jesus in my life for me means transformation, again, purpose, and he's my best mate. I love him. God's love is powerful, and he wants to change us. He wants to heal us. He wants to transform us. 
And I want to uh, come to, we're going to bring the service to a, a close of this sermon in a few moments. And I want to give an opportunity today and after we do this and we're going to pray for, for people who want God to come into your life and then we're going to share communion together. The, the moment that we're going to have right now is an invitation moment. It's a moment of surrendering to that love that God has. I'm hoping this morning that whatever your misconception, if you had a misconception of who God is and the way that he thinks about you, that you'll realize right now that he loves you, that he wants the best for you, that he's not the divine kill joy, he actually wants to give you joy. And if this morning you'd be prepared, there's an exchange that God wants to make. He wants to take your sin and replace it with his forgiveness. He wants to take your guilty conscience about your past and he wants to absolutely cleanse it with the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants to take any shame that you live under and he wants to lift it off you so you can live free from shame and condemnation. He wants to take any anxiety that you live with on the inside and he wants to replace it with a supernatural peace. He wants to take any depression that you live under and replace it with a joy. It's an exchange. Jesus gave his life for an exchange. He wants to take any torment that you're experiencing and replace it with a love. Any loneliness that you're living with and replace it with his love and his community. He wants to give you a sense of purpose and destiny that you are created for, but you'll never really connect to until you connect to God and receive his forgiveness. So I'm going to ask if we could close our eyes right now. And this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. And then I'm going to ask if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, that essentially means you've never surrendered your life to God. You've never received the gift that Jesus Christ paid for, the forgiveness of your sins. It's not enough that you just believe that Jesus existed. Bible tells us even demons believe he exists. That's not enough. What's it, what God's looking for is you to ask for forgiveness and to put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he would be your savior. And this morning that you would hear his knock on your heart, you'd hear God's call to you and you'd turn from living your way, independent from God, autonomous. And you'd turn and say, God, I surrender and I'm going to make you the Lord, the leader of my life. And if you'll do that in a moment, not over weeks or years of being a good person, but in a moment, God will forgive you, cleanse you, wipe your conscience clean, and you'll feel so much lighter. So many people, when I ask them, when you've surrendered your life to God, when you received Jesus as your Savior, what did that feel like? And these would be the two things that I hear over and over. Many people say, I just felt... Uh, just this love, this warmth come all over me. My heart, sometimes a physical sensation, but in my heart I felt this love and acceptance. Or I felt this peace. And the peace comes because subconsciously, we don't know it, but we're at war with God. If we haven't asked for forgiveness, we're carrying guilt. If you've ever had a fight with someone and there's been a tension between you, that tension is just an unsettledness on the inside. And then you resolve it and a peace comes. You're like, oh, we're resolved. We're reconciled. Well, every person on this planet, until they receive Christ, there's a tension inside between us and God. We're disconnected. And Jesus came to reconcile us so that we could be forgiven 
the tension could leave and peace could come into our hearts. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment. I'm going to ask if you're saying, John, I would love to begin a relationship with God. I would love to be forgiven of my sin. I'm going to ask you in a moment just to raise your hand, not yet, but in a moment to raise your hand. And I'll just acknowledge it. I'm not going to ask you to come out the front. I'm going to lead us all together in a prayer. But I'm going to ask you to raise it, and then you can put it down, and then we'll pray afterwards. So you're saying, John, I want a relationship with God. If you're saying, I once walked with God, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you went to Sunday school or a youth group. God was close to you at some point, but you're far away from Him right now. And you're hearing a message of hope, and your heart's responding. Today's your day to get right with God again. If that's you in a moment, I want you to join with others and raise your hand. Or maybe you're just not sure if, you, if when you die, you're going to go to heaven. You hope you are, but you just don't have an assurance in your heart. And my prayer is today that you would leave this place confident that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God and you're going to spend eternity in heaven. So let's pray. Father, for every person in this room, you know every person, you know every story. You know every difficulty, every fear and every challenge. You know the darkness that people in this room are facing right now, the hopelessness that some people are struggling with right now, the emotional torment. You're aware of every circumstance and every heart and you care. And I'm asking Holy Spirit that this moment would be a life-changing moment, a life-transforming moment as people respond to your love demonstrated through Jesus dying on the cross. Move on hearts. Move on minds. So with eyes closed and heads bowed, if this is you, you're saying, John, I want that relationship with God. I want my sins forgiven. I want to come back and make him number one. Or I want to be sure I'm going to heaven. If that's you right now, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, that's me today. I want to get right with God. Thank you. Awesome over there. Thank you over there. I see your hands. Awesome. Thank you over here. Fantastic. I see your hand the second row. Fantastic. Who else right now? You're saying, that's me too. I want to get right with God. I want that relationship. Thanks, man. I see your hand. Who else right now? You're saying, that's me. I I want to get right with God today. Something's missing in my life. You can feel the pulling, the drawing of God's love. He loves you so much. And he's calling you up into a whole new way of living, into a whole new life. He will help you, but you have to surrender. Why do we say put your hand up? That's an outward sign of an internal decision that you're making. God sees your heart, but your hand is you saying, I want to get right with God. I'm wondering, I know there's some more people right now. You can feel God tugging on your heart. It's like I'm speaking just to you right now because God uses my voice to talk to you because he loves you so much if you haven't put your hand up yet but you're saying john today what can you include me in this prayer i want to be right with god would you raise your hand as well and join with these people say that's me who else right now i'm waiting just for one more person this is your moment this is your moment god's knocking on your heart it's time to get right with him one more person who's that i feel that struggle on the inside of someone god's knocking he loves you you got to, you're saying, well, if I, if I respond to God, does that mean I've got to make all these changes? Well, yeah, this is a turning and a surrender, but God will help you. You will gain way more than you give up in this moment if you turn to God, way more, including eternity with God. So I'm going to wait one more time. Holy Spirit, move on hearts. If that's you, thank you. I see your hand. That's awesome. So someone else, would you raise your hand if that's you? This is such an important moment. I don't mind spending a little bit of time on it. 
If there's one more person, just say, yep, God, John, I need God. I'm surrendering right now. I'm responding to his love. One more person. Who's that? Who is it? Just raise your hand. Slip it up high. Say, that's me. I want to get right with God. I want to get right with God. Fantastic, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. You can put your hand down. This is what we're going to do. All of us together, I'd love you to pray this prayer. There's about six people who just raised your hand to connect with Jesus. And I want us all to join them as we pray this prayer after me. If, if you know Jesus, pray this like it's your very first time with these other ones right now. Say these words after me. Dear God in heaven, I thank you that you love me, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sin. I'm sorry for living my way. I'm turning to you today to follow you with all my heart. I thank you that you love me, that you forgive me, that you live in my heart, and I'm going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together. For each one of these people, you raise your hands. So proud of you. Such a great decision. God's going to meet you, touch you. Absolutely fantastic. What will happen after the service? One of our team has got a gift for those.